and welcome to you. Need to see this. <laughs> you need to see this is a film podcast about filling in the gaps in our collective cinematic experience. I'm Luce Tomlin Brenner, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host. Cozy. Hi, I'm Cozy. Hello, Cozy. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> You're here. Welcome. <laughs> so comfy. Uh, this is comfy. We're each on our own couch. This is the fourth or fifth uh, podcast from the quarantine. Uh, and it's so, I love being here with you in this way. Yeah, this is really uh, nice. It is nice. So if you haven't listened to the podcast before, Cozy and I are comedians, writers, filmmakers, and uh, wannabe astronauts. <laughs> each, <laughs> each week we pick a film at least one of us has seen and at least one of us has never seen. We count Pete audio engineer Pete I'm on that one and then we try to convince each other and you listener that this movie is worth your time we cover everything from lesser known art house indies to how'd you miss his blockbusters and we do it all with no spoilers <laughs> so if you have not seen this film listen we want you to listen to this podcast if you haven't seen the films because we want to try to get you on board with them there's so many things to watch, and hopefully we can help you narrow down some good ones to pick. Yeah, it's really overwhelming, right? Yeah, it's very overwhelming. Now I have more time. Uh, I have more options. And part of me is like, well, I should really watch, like, Le Hain. Then I'm like, but I also really want to watch this new reality show <laughs> on Netflix. And it's, you know, pulls me back and forth. Yeah, it's sort um, of a lot. In a lot of ways, it's whatever pops up. And in a lot of other ways, it's like these lists that we always kind of go back to in our minds. And we're like, oh, yeah, someone recommended that once. <laughs> yes, definitely. Like, oh, I never saw National Velvet. Same. Did I watch National Velvet? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I Maybe someday we'll discuss. I haven't seen many... Um, uh elizabeth taylor films i don't think so, i've seen any i i'm trying to think if there's uh one that i would recommend butterfield eight is fun because it's about like call girls i've never heard of that one i think maybe the only one yeah god taming of the shrew did he did they do a, did she do a version Was of that? that that's an interesting question i might I mean, be way wrong uh i've always wanted to watch uh cleopatra because it was like a huge bomb and almost totally tanked fox studios wow oh yeah isn't that crazy like we almost lost 20th century fox because they spent like 60 million dollars on cleopatra and then nobody went to see it jesus that will happen i suppose yeah it looks like it looks like she wasn't taming of the, th of the shrew in 1967 uh and i did see that in a class once probably a high school class oh interesting <laughs> the only I thing should i've seen see that I've read Taming the Shrew, but I should watch the movie because one of my favorite teen movies is 10 Things I Hate About You. Same. It's so damn good. That is a, a universally recognized perfect one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And there's so much. I noticed I rewatched it earlier this year and I noticed more Shakespeare references in it than I ever had before. Oh, wow. Um, which I guess means I'm getting smarter every year. That's what so it that's sounds positive. like. Yeah. <laughs> You're getting sharper every year, like a, an aging cheddar. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> people love cheese, so uh, as long as I can give the people what they want. Um, well, today we're not discussing Elizabeth Taylor, and we're not discussing cheese, but we are discussing 2011's sci-fi drama, 
another earth. And Cozy, you need to see this. <laughs> yeah, I don't recognize that name at all. You don't even recognize the name? Not even a little bit. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, that takes out the first impressions portion. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. I, the only time I think I heard it was maybe on this podcast in past episodes. It sounds dimly familiar on that level and no other. Pasibla. Yeah, I love this film. It's one of my all-time favorites, like a top tenor for me. It comes up in conversations I have with people a lot. So mm. if you have heard of it, it's probably through me. <laughs> um, Pete. Audio engineer Pete, have you heard of this film or seen this film? I've never heard of it or seen it. Oh my goodness. This is so exciting. Okay, well, we're going to check in with you then at the end too, Pete, and see uh, if I've convinced you. Because two people who have never heard of it, this is exciting. I have my work cut out for me. <laughs> um, all right, well, let's get started then. Um, another Earth, I'm going to... Uh, well, I guess before I get in, I, I always want to start in different places each time. Sometimes <laughs> I want to do the description. Sometimes I want to do the actors. Well, let's start um, with who it was created by. So it was a, a Sundance winner. Uh, it premiered at Sundance in 2011, and it won the Alfred P. Sloan Prize, which is a prize specific to science fiction. Oh. And it also won a special jury prize as well. It was directed on a shoestring gorilla budget by Mike Cahill, and it was written by Mike Cahill and Britt Marling. Uh, Britt Marling also stars alongside uh, William, uh, I want to say, Mapother, Mapother, William Mapother. He was in Lost. Uh, never Did saw you Lost. Watch Lost. You know what? I did. I didn't watch Lost either, and people are usually shocked because I love sci-fi and I love, um, you know, tangly stories with crazy creatures. But it premiered when I was in college, and I was like busy. It was I, like, also didn't watch new shows at that time. It was also really a very much a bandwagon show. Yes, that's true. I don't know if it was at first though. Was it from the uh, very beginning? Probably not from the very beginning, but there was definitely a point where everyone's like, "Oh my god, we're all watching Lost together. Have you seen this thing? Have you seen that thing?" Yeah, I had that Game of Thrones vibe to me, where I was just like, "I do not want to get into this show that everybody loves this much because it's." I just don't think things that are universally appealing could be that good, but that's not always true. I it's, like plenty of things that are universally appealing. Yeah, it does feel more rare, though, on some level. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I guess I, I think of, like, the X-Files, but I don't know how many people actually loved the X-Files when it was on TV. Yeah, I mean, the right people loved the X-Files when it was on TV. <laughs> it was, it oh, still cozy. wasn't fully universal. <laughs> cozy, you always know how to flatter me. Uh, it's just the truth. <laughs> 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 wonderful well, i agree i love the x-files uh another great science fiction uh, piece of storytelling and i am obsessed with another earth um you might be familiar with other work that Britt marling did in 2011 actually her uh she took another film to sundance so she came out of nowhere and brought two award-winning films to sundance the other one was called sound of my voice have you Ooh, heard of that one it's about it. a cult leader uh i also no, recommend that, that great, one though. Yeah, maybe I'll do it on another future episode. Uh, and then she did a movie called The East that was a little more popular with Ellen Page and uh, I believe Aaron Eckhart or no, maybe. No, who's the hot Scandinavian version of Aaron Eckhart? Um, 
Uh, Slaughter's like, Guard. Yeah, it's one of Sorry. those. Uh, Alexander, Alexander Peter, Sarsgaard. there's so many. <laughs> yes, it is Alex- Alexander Sarsgaard, I think, is in it with her. And I always have trouble with Sarsgaard versus Skarsgård, too. Oh, Skarsgård. Yeah, that one always gets me. I know there's like multiple one one of those and then only one of the other name. <laughs> I think it's Alexander Skarsgård and Peter Sarsgård. Ooh, that's true. Well, welcome to the Name Guessing Podcast, uh, <laughs> one that we could have many guests on. Uh, anyways, the East is about environmental terrorism. Have you heard of that one? That one's really good, too. I don't know that one, but I do like Ellen Page a lot. All right. Well, I recommend that if you, I tend to really get into movies about, uh, I don't know, underdogs, punks, people who are like fucking things up. And I really sided with uh, Ellen Page. I was Every time I watch anything about environmental terrorism, I'm on their side. Um, so if you think you'd lean that way at all, I think you would like this movie. Oh, I mean, I did um, just see Okja the other day and I was like, hell yeah, with this group of people. Yes. Uh, you know, environmental films would be a really interesting subgenre to get into sometime. Um, there's just so many. There's like a range of really interesting takes. Anyway, yeah. sorry, my brain went off into another universe for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Very relatable. Uh, yeah. Well, on another Earth, is it, this isn't really the theme of this movie, but it's interesting as we talk about our Earth dying and we're running out of resources and we're thinking about like could we live somewhere else but we live in outer space on another planet um and there are some interesting aspects to like what else is out there in the movie that we're talking about today Hmm. um okay so those are kind of the the details about who is behind uh this film and let's get into a description I had a hard time writing a description for this film because I want to preserve the ending, Uh, not just because we're a no spoilers podcast, but I saw this film opening weekend at an art theater in DC when it came out in 2011. And I was, I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just knew that it was sci-fi and I I knew about Britt Marling and her story. And I was excited to see like a woman led sci-fi film. Hmm. And I was shocked like every single thing that happened hit me so hard and I want people to have that experience so um I decided to pull up I read a bunch of articles while I was doing research for like what I really wanted to get into why I talk about this film because so much of what I love is the ending so (laughs) (laughs) that makes it tough yeah it does make it tough. Yesterday, I started panicking because I like rewatched it and I watched it with my boyfriend, Isaac, who hadn't seen it. And he and I were talking it through and I was like, oh, shit, is this not, can I not do this? I had like three pages of notes and I was like, I don't know if I could do this film. <laughs> but I decided to see that as a challenge. Yes. Um, great call. Yeah, right. Instead of a, a hindrance. So I cobbled together a synopsis using some of the language from a Wired article um, from July 2007, and it's written by Angela Watercutter, and the title is Crafting Another Earth's Heartbreaking Take on the Multiverse. So that's where some of this, what I'm about to say, comes from. Hmm. Here we go. Another Earth is a science fiction film about a lead character, Rhoda, played by writer-director Britt Marling, 
uh, who tries to help a composer whose life she shattered the night a second version of Earth was discovered next door to our own planet. Uh, with a gentle touch, it makes audiences contemplate complex physics, space travel, and possibilities of a multiverse, all while telling the rather quiet story of a young woman trying to atone for a terrible mistake. Wow. Not what I was expecting at all. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Oh, I've shocked you already. That makes me so happy. Yeah, Um, it definitely like it definitely sounds like the sci-fi part of it's kind of in the background to a very human story. (laughs) Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to number one on my list of reasons why you need to see this. (laughs) Amazing. That's so funny. Cozy, I have to tell you that I actually wrote out... uh, This is a micro-human drama within a sci-fi epic. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, God. Well, it sounds like you picked the right description, then. <laughs> <laughs> so my number one reason why I love this is that it combines my two favorite ways, my two favorite genres, which is very, very personal, emotional, devastating storytelling <laughs> with genre film which i love sci-fi and i love horror and if you can tell a tragedy within a sci-fi or horror package i am like fucking drooling my face off i like can't (laughs) handle it so i this movie like really gripped me immediately uh right from the get-go because it's about a 17 year old who just gets into mit and she has her whole life ahead of her and then this like terrible thing happens and it changes the course of her life and the course of this other man's life who is uh, played by the guy who I said was in Lost, uh, Mm. William Mapother. Mapother. I'm so sorry to this. I'm sorry to this man. I don't know how to say his name. I mean, it sounds like like the kind of name where you wouldn't be the first. So that's understandable. (laughs) It's like when I see people's names, I start to think, that I don't actually know how to read. Because I'm like, how do these letters go together? Like that my reading comprehension is just the ability to repeat words I've seen over and over and over for my entire life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, I feel like no, almost nowhere other than in names do those kind of situations pop up where you're like, oh, I've never heard, I've never seen these collections of letters together before. No one's ever demonstrated this in normal words. And there's a reason why most people don't have this name because it just must have died out because it's such an awful, confusing spelling. <laughs> yeah, with like a lot of Z's and X's and Y's all together. Oh, no, thank my you. Zizix. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I know Zizix, but I've been saying their name wrong. <laughs> yeah, that's why she goes by Jane. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's embarrassing. Um, that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, that's... That's my number one. Uh, Luckily, the characters in the movies, uh, names are very easy to say. Uh, (laughs) Rhoda and John. Oh, those were so Uh, easy. And this is a movie that uh, she, you also meet Rhoda's family and a couple of other very small characters with a couple of lines. But other than that, like this is a very personal film that right away centers on Rhoda and her life. And what I like about it is that she kind of starts as the villain, but not in the way that a typical genre film, there's nothing cartoonish or outlandish or big about her. She Mm -hmm. is 
the every person, the like middle-class, upper middle-class person that's like, I shouldn't say every person. I am from <laughs> a middle-class background and I went to a, not a fancy school, but I went to college. So I see myself in a young woman who uh, gets to go to college, I guess. It's kind of <laughs> basically how it starts and like the feeling that your whole life is ahead of you and that anything can happen. Mm. Um, I think is something that even if you didn't go to college is something that you can relate to being young and thinking like, wow, after I get out of my parents' house or after I get out of this living situation I'm in where I'm not in control, as soon as I become an adult, I'll have control. And the fact that she doesn't have, that like something happens and she loses control and then she loses her identity and trying to figure out who she is and how that connects to this large, crazy scientific thing that happens, which is uh, and the basically going off of the idea of the multiverse, mm. uh, which I will get into next because this girl loves the idea of a multiverse. <laughs> and I am obsessed. I love space. Do you like space at all, Cozy? I'm okay with space, but I don't love space the way a lot of people love space. I'm okay with space. <laughs> I'm chill with space. Like I'll give space some space, but I'm not necessarily like all over space. I when I was a kid, I grew up on a lot of uh, fantasy novels, and that was my side of like the sci-fi fantasy coin. Mm-hmm. Where I always sense. saw, yeah, I always like saw those uh, sci-fi novels, and I was just like, oh, they're not really for me. But I bet I would, I could have chosen that pretty quickly. Yeah, see, when I was a kid, I didn't like space at all. I thought it was boring because right. I was like, I thought all the movies that came out when we were a kid were things that were like, I don't know, Deep Impact or um, what was that one uh, with. I don't want to miss a thing was the song to it. Yeah, I I always get that one and like the the, the other one confused. Uh, it's it's maybe is it with is that like Armageddon? Armageddon. Yes. Thank, Thank you, peeps. I feel like I'm yeah. not remembering that. Uh, yeah, one of those movies. <laughs> or like uh, Apollo thirteen, Apollo eleven. What was the one with Tom Hanks? Like all of those. Mm -hmm. uh, movies i was just it always just felt like a bunch of men going to space and being like oh no something horrible happened and then coming back yeah yeah those and, all seem i i missed all of those movies because they had no interest for me either yeah exactly so I, I was also like well i didn't learn about like quantum physics or mechanics until i was in college so i really i never really thought about anything beyond our solar system uh, I will say the first thing that really got to me as a kid was a book called, um, well, it's really popular now because it's was turned into a movie that I am forgetting the name of. You guys, I've got quarantine <laughs> brain like crazy. Oh, oh no. my God. Uh, it's rough, um, right? You know what? We'll just come back to it. Ava DuVernay made it uh, Wrinkle in Time. A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, I remember that series as a kid. I, I, I remember liking that a lot. I loved A Wrinkle in Time. And I loved that she could go to a place where there were other humans, but they were slightly off. And I've always been obsessed with the idea that there are parallel universes and that there are different timelines and there are other versions of ourself doing every other possible choice we didn't make in this timeline. Right, sliding I, doors, right? <laughs> yeah, I think there's all, endless creative opportunities in that. And basically, uh, so my number two for this one is that they took a large multiverse theory 
and they explore the idea of um, kind of poetically. Uh, they turn it into a poetic metaphor instead of getting into like all the sciencey aspect of it, all the space mm. travel aspect of it. Science scientists discover another Earth that enters our solar system uh, through a black hole. Essentially, they don't explain a lot of that, but um, and you see it, and it's like in many of the images of her like walking home and her walking to this other person's house. She does a lot of walking. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot of out, these gorgeous outdoor shots of this large other earth. And it's so compelling and arresting. And if you look at like the poster or like the DVD cover for the film, it's uh, her standing in front of an earth. And so there is this idea and these theories that are being tossed around during the film that if there's another earth out there is there another me like what am i doing out there in this other earth and so it has this poetic idea of meeting oneself and explores the idea of like if you met yourself would you like yourself Ooh, that also sounds like it definitely cute like uh keys into the idea a little bit of like choices and the fear of making choices Oh yeah, definitely. I yeah. I think what's interesting is instead of it being a fear in this movie, it becomes an opportunity. Well, right, because the opportunity because the option to see the other options is, is there. Yes, yeah. That's exactly. what we all want, right? We all want to kind of see what would have happened if we had made that other choice and it's yeah. that wish fulfillment. Well, it's interesting because Isaac didn't actually like the film that much and he's the first person <laughs> I've talked to who hasn't liked it and it like really <laughs> got me and I started talking to him about it and I was like but it there's like this possibility that like the things you regret you didn't do them and then he basically tried to tell me he didn't have any regrets I love it that's amazing I <laughs> I, I I find that so interesting because on some level I get that and on others I don't because uh I it took me a long time to stop having regrets but I'm at the mm -hmm. point now where I don't have them anymore because I got to that point where I was like, oh, there's nothing I can do to change the past. Why think about it or dwell on it? And so there's still a, there's a re regret still is there, but the feeling of regret's gone, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah, that does make sense. I, I think I still struggle with that. I definitely embrace the like, I really love my life right now. Um, I, I feel like I've done a lot to position myself in a like healthy and happy and fulfilling place but that took my entire life to like get there and I think I have right. regrets around things that I can't necessarily change so the regret is there but I'm not obsessing over it I maybe is that yeah. what you're saying like, yeah that makes sense to me you know I kind of wish I, that I, things were just different in a way I can't change like man I really wish I would have started going to therapy in high school like right. how and would I be different if I was like th this thoughtful 20 years ago yeah, I've I've had those feelings before, but I at some point I stopped having those just because of perspective shifts where I was like I can't change the past because it's unchangeable. So why think why why dwell on it? I can't change the future because it's too big, so why worry about it? Uh mm -hmm. so all I have is the moment right now and I just don't really think about the past or the future ever anymore. <laughs> it's really weird. No, that's awesome. I really I envy that. I I wonder if there's a space for because I know you do a lot of self-reflection too and that's another reason I think you would like this movie and I think anyone mm. who who likes looking inward would really like this movie a lot um because it is the conceit the science fiction conceit is just another way 
of exploring the inner world of who we are and what it means mm-hmm. to be human. And I, you and I as friends talk a lot about self-reflection and what, oh, and, and looking inward. And I know both of us actually really enjoy and get a lot out of looking inward. It's so fascinating. Oh, there's it, just so much there. Yeah, definitely. And I love the idea of this like other earth, other people and like that Tarota, this other earth is like she has done something wrong and like she needs she can't live with it but the idea of this other earth has finally spurred her to have some self-reflection in a way that like she can live knowing that like something else is out there yeah i love that any inciting incident that makes somebody like self-reflect a lot oh that's my gem yeah and i think i mean well I'll get into this in in the next one, but like, it's a very quiet film. So there's not a lot of dialogue. All the dialogue is very meaningful and very purposeful, Mm. which is something else that I like about it. There's really no fat to trim. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, you, there's a lot of long shots of her and there's a lot of contemplation. So you definitely Mm. see her contemplating, but she, the contemplation, it feels like she is, almost shut down that she's almost ruminating more than contemplating you know what I mean like she feels that her life is unfixable right oh god so it's hitting our on our more like emotional and deep level maybe to a point where she can't necessarily make choices or changes with it yet yes yes exactly Mm. it kind of dedicates her life to trying to help this person whose life she ruined wow and that's all it seems like is available until this connection she has with this other earth that comes into our orbit. Hmm. Um, and so I'll take, I'll take that into my number three, which is that a lot of this movie is told in voiceover. Um, hmm. And it's like her voiceover, but then it's also, well, first of all, let's talk about Britt Marling's voice, which is one of the prettiest voice that exists. It, <laughs> It's soft and it's um, comforting, but it's also haunting and sad and mysterious. And she hmm. talks in some scenes that it, it's almost a whisper, but it's a whisper. It's almost like I envy her whisper. Like it's <laughs> like it's sensual and sad and it holds so much in it. Like I felt myself leaning forward, even though I could hear it because I'm in control of the volume. But like, <laughs> I was like, oh, what is this secret that Rhoda is trying to tell me? And I love the way that she talks. I love her voice. Um, it's so sad in such a beautiful way and in like a unpretentious way. I think it really speaks to this, her acting skills because it feels so much like a real person and not like someone who's trying to be sad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like that. That makes a huge difference. I have... Um, a thing about voiceover for me is that it always really, really, really has to be well acted and it almost never Mm -hmm. is Mm -hmm. like, I've almost never heard good voice acting when it comes to narration. I agree. Um, the good thing is she's not, it's not used as, and then I thought this. (laughs) <laughs> it's not used the way a book uses it it sort of like sets her it sets up the story in the beginning and then she comes in a couple different times throughout 
And then the rest Mm -hmm. of the, a lot of the other narration is actually told through news and science broadcasts that we listen to as she listens to it. So we discover the other earth at the same time the characters do. Oh, and nice. a lot of the long scenes of her walking places, they're, they're, it's accompanied by voiceover of a radio show or a scientist. Uh, people talking about the philosophy behind what would happen if there were other versions of ourself on this other planet. Um, and it combines a lot of really interesting true theory about uh, multiverses with uh, just like a little push into the fiction of the world that's been created through this story. Mm. Um, and so I, there is dialogue. It's all very, it's all very present. It's, it's interesting because um, it feels like the voiceover, it doesn't feel like she's telling it now. It oh, feels okay. like she is telling what happened up until this moment. And then that's when science voiceovers sort of take over. I like that. I feel like you get a lot of different perspectives as a result of that, instead of it just coming from her. And that is very exciting. Yes, exactly. That's a great way of saying it. You get, you get a lot of perspectives. She's you're you're with her. And I really, like I said, I really related to her and connected with her immediately. But like, if you don't, that's okay. Because it's there's no way to not get swept up in the wonder of what's happening and you feel like you're she's getting swept up in it and that's such an interesting the way it all unfolds is so fascinating that you're swept up in it with her and it kind of brings you two on this journey together instead of like I'm watching something that happened after the fact Oh, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's a good call. Interesting. Because I think sometimes with voiceover, it's like, okay, well, you're telling me the story, so I know everything's going to be okay. Or or you're expecting oh, sure. some kind of dumb conceit at, or reveal at the end. Um, mm. And it's not like that. What happens, the end is definitely like, there's like a, it's a, it's a big ending. Um, it's a quiet ending, and it's a big ending at the same time. And <laughs> you're with her when it happens. So, like, it... Yeah. Yeah, no one's ahead of you. You're like experiencing everything at the same time. <laughs> um, so, okay, that was my third. Uh, let's get into some filmmaking aspects, uh, what I love about this film. Um, so Mike Cahill, the co-writer and director, has a background in documentary filmmaking. And he actually mm. worked for Discovery Channel making like shark documentaries amazing that's great for a movie called another earth yeah (laughs) and he also made this documentary called boxers and ballerinas uh that kind of has an interesting correlation with doubles because it's about a boxer and a ballerina in miami and a boxer and a ballerina in cuba and how the two cultures have affected these people's artistic exploration and careers um And so it's interesting because it's like he has this fascination with duality that he's explored in different ways. And he takes his documentary skills and applies them in really interesting ways in Another Earth. And I actually didn't know this about his background until after I watched it 
last night again. Mm -hmm. This is probably the, I don't know, seventh or eighth time, maybe even tenth time when I first, I got it on DVD as soon as it came out, and I wa I used to watch it like over and over and over. I and I always put it on if I need to cry or if I need to feel something really intensely because it uh, is a very intense movie, even though it's quiet. <laughs> um, and this movie always I mean, shakes me up. Yeah, I feel like often uh, the more the most the quietest ones are the most intense anyway. Yes, absolutely. This has this has that exactly. Uh, I think because of <laughs> so much in, introspection. Um, mm. So I was really noticing the ways in which it was filmed and how a lot of some of it seems like it's on handheld in certain scenes. Sometimes it's like you're in her house, but it's being filmed from a different room. And you're like, why? And not everybody is in the frame. And it feels like you're watching them, but not, you know, not like typical, like you're watching a movie, like it's very artfully done. No, it feels like you are looking through a window, peeping in on this family and there's other times where you're watching people from above and it hit me that it has this feeling that you're on the other earth and it's like, oh, nice. you're watching, you know, you're watching them. They're watching you. It's happening mm -hmm. to both sides. And I really liked that a lot. Uh, it's a funny joke sort of that's in the movie is like, they call it earth too. And they're like, do you think they're calling themselves Earth too? Like we're always centering <laughs> ourselves, right? And of course, um, I think they do a great job of exploring that idea through cinematography. Um, he also got, he said in an interview at Sundance that he got like half the shots were like gorilla. So we're not like planned and shots he basically had to steal because like they didn't get permits for them and there's some shooting oh, sure. on a train and in front of a prison and in locations that they didn't have access to so he was able to utilize some documentary skills from that as well um sounds like it <laughs> yeah so it's really interesting now i'm excited to go back and watch it again and be like because it does feel like a documentary in some parts as well hmm. Uh, which I think is also very hard to do for a genre film and not have it be sort of hacky like Cloverfield, <laughs> um, which I'm sorry. If people like Cloverfield, I don't think it holds up. Um, I've never seen it. I wouldn't recommend it to you because I know you wouldn't like it. <laughs> I know you wouldn't like it. The characters are so unlikable. You would be like, you wouldn't care what happened Oof. to them. That sounds terrible. Yeah, not a fan. It was a movie that was so fun when it first came out because you hadn't seen anything like it, but it doesn't mm -hmm. hold up as interesting among multiple watches. And 10 years later, you're like, well, I've seen this conceit so many times that this movie doesn't feel important anymore. Sure. Like so the, the first person to create a new trick uh, doesn't necessarily do the best work with it. Yeah. And so there's kind of an importance to the to them because they did the trick, but no importance in terms of the actual quality a lot of times. Yes. Yeah, 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 exactly. That's <laughs> so weird. That's what I think about Cloverfield. I know it has big, big, big fans. But if you're interested in the overall story of Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane, the like mm -hmm. loosely connected second J.J. Abrams movie in that world is so good and has Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it, who I know you love. She's great. Also, it, yeah, that one, like, I saw the trailer and I was like, this looks like an actual good movie. I might even see this. I didn't, but I really got close. Well, it's on my <laughs> list of future films to talk about, so maybe I'll have to convince you professionally. Yeah, I'll have to hold off until then. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, okay, so... 
I love the way that um, they utilize uh, these zooms and focus and fuzziness and like what's out of focus and who's in the picture and who's cut off at certain times and um, how it feels like you are watching them as another person and not typically as like a film viewer. So that's my fourth reason. Uh, and then my fifth reason is, uh, I know you like music. I'm not sure if you're into LCD, LCD sound system, but they do the, not really now The two people from that band do the score and the score is like okay. very cool. It's futuristic sounding while also being very bizarre. Um, so I like the- I feel like even though I'm not into them, a lot of our audience are probably super into them. I feel like LCD Sound System gets a ton of love. Yeah, definitely. I I think that as like a score, like no, you know, lyrics or anything, uh, it's magnificent. Um, mm. I think it takes the elements that I like of LCD Sound System and like utilizes them in like a very I want to say hip, but that makes me sound very old. <laughs> like this, like, Do you dig it? And is it groovy? <laughs> it's extremely groovy. Uh, it just feels <laughs> like a hip modern sci-fi score. It feels like if it was a more popular movie, it would be like an iconic score. Hmm. Um, and then the, the composer, John, he's a composer. He plays the saw. Do you know that a saw awesome. can be played? <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I love seeing people play the saw. It's so weird and great. It's so cool. And the best part about it is it creates this like really spooky, ethereal sound that really harkens back to like 1950s, 1960s, like Cold War era sci-fi films. Mm. Is it like, it's been a while since I've heard a saw being played. Is it kind of theremin-y maybe? Yes. On some level? Yes. Nice. I think it's, I would argue that it's like even cooler, but I, I don't know if it can do as much <laughs> as the theremin can do, but like it's very, and it's cool to watch him play it too. I mean, the fact that it's not designed to be used in as many ways as a theremin, which is like specifically designed, makes it even cooler. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm wondering, I should have looked up into the saw history of uh, music with the saw and see if it was, uh, it. I wonder if it influenced the theremin to getting made because it is very right, fun. or if it, or if or if it influenced the movie Saw in some way. Hmm. Do you think it did? <laughs> I don't know. I have God, to, I hope so. I need to get the documentary <laughs> Saw about the Saw as a tool. Oh God, yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, I never saw I never saw um, like the horror porn Saw, but I imagine that the soundtrack was 100% Saw music. <laughs> The score is just like in the background. (laughs) Yeah, I know one of those sequels was Spoons, right? Yes, yeah. (laughs) That's like a washboard was terrifying. That was just like a totally different universe, though. Didn't have any of the same characters, and I don't. I think they really lost their way with Washboard. I don't think they were. I don't think that one was canon. No, I would agree. Also, I don't think they played a canon or Patchelbilk's canon in it. No, (laughs) they didn't. Um, That's that's a different series called Canon. Um, oh god i've always wanted to see Ken. listen it's from canon films right exactly <laughs> we if we start getting into all of the films we want to see that are named after everyday objects we'll never get through this 
It's true. This is a pretty big digression. <laughs> um, so listen, if you like the saw, the musical instrument, you, there is a scene in this film that is so overwhelmingly beautiful and spooky and awesome that it really like makes the film. It's just, there is so much that happens in that film while just a man plays a saw and it makes me cry every time I watch it. It's a very powerful scene. Uh, Let's see. So is he, Okay, so he's a composer. Is, does he only play the saw, or is he composing with multiple instruments? No. So the saw is one... You see him playing the piano a lot. It seems like the piano is maybe oh, cool. his main thing. Um, but hmm. he plays the saw specifically in one scene that's very emotional. Got it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are my five reasons. Real quick, I want to... I want to I want to use this line that they talk about in the film, which is uh, the broken mirror theory, which is that uh, as soon as the two Earths saw each other, that different decisions were maybe made. And mm. there's this um, voiceover of a scientist saying, "Has the other me made the same mistakes I've made?" Uh, and <laughs> I just I just love it so much. And I would say that that's kind of the overall vibe of this film. Is like, is there another me out there? Has the other me made the same mistakes? And like what that means for these characters is uh, extremely powerful given the sure. what happens to them within the film. I think that it's very human nature to want to avoid mistakes, but also I feel like my understanding of the concept of mistakes has changed so much in the last couple of Ooh, years. That's interesting. Tell me more about that. Yeah, like I no longer have a fear of mistakes that I had growing up, you know, I was very much a perfectionist as a kid. Mm. And that stayed with me for a long time, because of course, everybody encourages perfect work in whatever (laughs) situation work is involved, whether it's artistic or business, or, you know, romance, any of that stuff, you always want to be perfect and get it right. And a couple years ago, I realized that you can't learn anything from getting anything right. Mm -hmm. So I kind of, I kind of, uh, um, I don't know what the, I reoriented myself towards making more mistakes and Mm. kind of jumped into the mouth of that. Mm. Uh, However, that would be said correctly. And I was like, okay, fuck up more, make more mistakes, get things wrong and learn from Mm -hmm. it. Yeah, definitely. I, I have always struggled um, in that I have also, I've always been fine with mistakes. I, I love that. I, I just don't, I know what I'm able to do and I am okay with that. That's not to say that That's I don't push myself. Uh, there's many things I want to no. get better at and there's things I'm always working on because I want to, I say, so, I've said this before, like I'm a perfectionist and that I want to do as good as I want to do. Ooh, interesting. I want to be my yeah. level of perfect, but my level of perfect is what, there's a point that I hit and I'm like, this is good enough for me. So my level of perfect is my own level of good enough. And the problem is that never in my life has my own level of good enough really lined up with anyone else's. So I like, I wasn't like obsessed with grades as a kid, but my parents were. And like, there were certain things where I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this specific homework because this is dumb and it's time wasting and I want to spend my time doing something else. So I'm okay with getting a C, but my parents weren't okay with me getting a C. Do you know what I mean? Right. You had a 
yeah, like you had a better understanding of the actual uh, like structure around the assignment and how it fit, how it sort of didn't have enough value within the overall kind of situation. Yeah, and the time that it was a better take, way of saying that. Yeah, the yeah. time that it would take to do things. I always wanted to. I've always wanted to spend my time doing what I want to spend my time doing, and that is not the way that our world is structured. And there's certain things that like people think we should be spending our time doing that I don't think are healthy for us and that I don't want to engage in, or there's certain aspects to our industry here, the entertainment industry in Los Angeles. That's just like, well, I don't want to spend money and time on hiring someone to do this thing for me when I could do it myself, even if it's not as good, I just want to do it, you know? Um, so it's interesting because I, I felt self-conscious about it the older I've gotten because I've come up against people telling me that I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing something the right way. And especially since- Right, by whatever their standards are. Yeah, yeah. and like when I moved to LA, it was really difficult for me because I didn't, um, you know, I didn't study, you know, I didn't study this industry in college. Uh, I studied hmm. women's studies and I studied like film criticism and right. I didn't understand uh, LA as a business really until I moved here and it made me feel very self-conscious and it made me feel like I needed to listen to everybody because everybody knew more than I did. And that put me in like a lot of positions artistically that I think I wasn't spending my time effectively for myself. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Because I like yeah, absolutely. wasn't okay with making mistakes because I was like, I want to do well here and I don't know what I'm doing. So... I can't make a mistake. I'll torpedo my career or whatever. Right. And it feels like everything matters so much. And it feels like all time that we have as free time matters so yes, much. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And it's only been recently um, in the last few years that I've been able to like embrace mistakes again. And I feel like I keep trying to get in touch with like young Luce, who is like, I'm not writing <laughs> all of these questions I'm not writing all these answers to this like worksheet on great expectations because I understand what the themes are. <laughs> I don't need to do this work. So I don't know. I'm trying to embrace that version of myself again. Um, That's great. That's so exciting. It, it is exciting. Um, and I really, I don't know. I really relate to like, what is other earth Luce doing? Like, I think my biggest <laughs> regret was then any of the time that I wasted worrying about being marketable here in los angeles mm, uh sure i i uh, it's so funny i feel like i'm one of the very very few people who feel like time can't be wasted mm. but it's very hard to convince anybody else of that and i have yet to find the right frame my for it. therapist just actually <laughs> said that to me many times so she's on your side i love yeah. that that's the best that's so exciting yeah. they're there i'm getting closer to figuring out how to say that in a way that is helpful and right now what i have is that's uh, anything where you're causing yourself stress because of time wasted is not worth worrying about because that's what, cause I don't, I don't really care about wasting time. To me, there's no waste. Everything can help me learn or can help me sort of relax or feel more comfortable, mm -hmm. which is important for learning too. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was like, all right, if I'm not be beating myself up because of time lost or whatever, then that means I'm doing it right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because yeah, because feeling negative about something is less effective for learning than most anything else. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that um, what's interesting about Another Earth is like when Rhoda decides to reach out and connect to this person whose life she fucked up, 
she is able to do more for herself and this other person than she was ever able to do when she was like obsessing over her mistake. Right. Cause she was still in that processing mode, but she let it go for so long that it, nothing else was, was really happening. changing. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's like, cause you do need that. You do need to, to process and feel stuff. But if you live in that, then at some point you're hiding from other things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're like telling yourself you're doing the work, but like, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Or you're just spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. And like, that's just a, a form of hiding as frustrating as that can feel. Or yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's very freeing when uh, Rhoda's character decides to stop hiding. Um, oh, that's great. I hope people learn lessons from that. That's the Yeah, coolest. definitely. And I love, you know, revisiting movies. Like I said, this came out nine years ago. I've watched it pretty regularly mm-hmm. since then, but I probably haven't watched it in three years. Um, and I am a different person now than I was three years ago. Huge, hugely. Of course. And, just yeah like I would say the last four years of my life have been like this really intense time of like change and rebirth and I really Mm. connected to her her journey even though she and I what what set us on a course of rebirth was so different I still was just Mm -hmm. like man I really connected to her so I think that if you cozy or anyone who's listening has gone through a large change that this movie will hit you on such a profound level which I think is what makes it so special because like I said, it is this big Mm. sci-fi concept, you know, an an earth like ours appears in our solar system. What does that mean for us? That's huge. And in other hands, (laughs) it would be like an Armageddon, like uh, blockbuster action movie, but with Britt Marling and Mike Cahill becomes this quiet, small introspective drama. Um, Mm. And I just, I just love, I just love it so much. And I want everybody to watch it. I want everyone to watch it. I want everyone to (laughs) deeply think about their lives and, and how uh, they're good and they're okay. And that they can always get better. That's That's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it hits you in a different way than it did back then too. I really love how that happens. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, there's a, a CD from a band that I that I, I couldn't handle that CD. I didn't like it. I couldn't stand it. And then I went through a divorce and now I'm like, I get this <laughs> record. <laughs> there are so many movies that I get in a different way post-divorce. And not, not even Ooh, movies about I... divorce, but just like emotional movies that I'm like, oh, yeah, like Eternal Sunshine I've always loved since like 2004. But man, that movie yeah. really slapped differently after a divorce. Yeah, I definitely had different opinions after after seeing that lately. <laughs> it was very strange. But that hasn't happened to me very often. Uh, I But that's because I never go back and watch movies again. Like, yeah. I should do that more, it sounds like. I, I think as somebody <laughs> as introspective as you are, Cozy, that you would get a lot out of revisiting emotional films. I thought when Me, You, and Everyone We yeah, Know. Yeah, I have so far. Yeah, yeah, right? Did you rewatch Me, You, and Everyone We Know when we did that episode together? No, I just watched a ton Parts of clips of it, that's again. Right. So that that movie hit me differently also. Uh, and I got so much more Ooh. out of the connection and, um, I don't know, the desire to be loved and how we position ourselves uh, in healthy and unhealthy ways out of a desperation to be loved, which I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, it felt oh. so personal when I watched it last year for our episode. That's that's the best. Yeah. When I rewatched Amelie, I definitely saw it in a different light. And that was like last really? year. Ooh, okay. I haven't watched Amelie for years. 
I will rewatch. I have not. Yeah, oh. I haven't since my divorce either. So I will definitely rewatch it. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, cool. It's such a great wa- rewatch. <laughs> Thank you for that. I definitely want to rewatch it. Um, okay, mm-hmm. great. Well, did I convince you? Will you watch another Earth? I would say, yeah, you definitely convinced me Yay! on this one. This one does sound like it's. Yeah, it sounds like it's living in a space that I like space. a lot. And I don't mean that in a pun <laughs> way, but yes, of course it'll happen. Um, yeah, it definitely, uh, you know, I'm a sucker for anything that's super quiet and introspective and uh, also still has a payoff. Like, even if it doesn't have a payoff, I love it. But with a payoff, I especially like it. Yeah, I think there's a few different payoffs. And I think that the final, the ending is very striking in that. I got something out of it immediately, but I think different people can get different things out of it. I don't think it's um, the writers knew what they were trying to write. Like I've read in the interviews that they know what the ending is and that they have a very specific view of it, but you're supposed to be able to sort of put your own ending, put your own emotional thoughts on it. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I do love a movie like that too. I mean, I loved the insanity of the movie mother because it was so, uh, it was so, yeah, it was so, yeah, it, it had it's it had so much room to be interpreted. Yes, I agree. I Mother is a film that really challenged me. I saw it in the theater and it horrified me. And but I've never been able to yeah. stop thinking about it. I <laughs> yeah, I I read so much afterwards too. and realized that my yeah my interpretation of it was not even close to what the author was hoping for. And I was like, no, fuck that author's yeah, take. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. Like I know I I felt that it was like a very heavy-handed environmental film and I didn't like oh, but I, like I like that's so funny but I got more out of it than just that I actually I think there's a lot of unintended feminism in it I don't think that right. Darren necessarily has the capacity to he was <laughs> he was using earth through Jennifer Lawrence but I'm like well, even if Jennifer Lawrence isn't earth this still very much shows the emotional labor of women like Right. God, absolutely. Um, yeah, I to me, to me, I, I definitely took it more on the artistic side and didn't take any environmental message from it at all. And like almost no biblical message except for in that a Bible, the Bible was a work of like specific art. Yeah, I thought some of the Bible stuff was heavy handed, but I don't know the Bible, Bible well enough to when I went back and read about it, I was like, oh, yeah, I could see all those Bible references now, but I don't know it well enough to like notice it on screen. Yeah, no, same, same. No, for me, it was 100% like the like the uh, the, the journey of a work yes. of art connected to the artist on some I, level. I thought it was insane. I, did you see in interviews that Darren Aronofsky kept being like, well, I don't, that's not really the point of the film. That's not really what my intention was. And I'm like, you made a film about yourself <laughs> and you didn't even fucking know it. Like, that's Seriously. really interesting to me <laughs> that you constructed an entire film with your subconscious and you think it's about the environment. Okay it's so crazy yeah i also just love that that was such a movie that was almost all metaphor like nothing really mattered in it because it was such a metaphor you never see those anymore everything is so concrete these (sighs) days that's such a great point i think that this i think another earth is very metaphorical but Mm. i also think it has stakes because it's about two people and because it's just two people of course you Mm -hmm. you can't help but connect to them but I do think yeah, that this is very sense. metaphorical. If you're into that, I think you could get it. It's not in the same way. I mean, Mother has so many bells and whistles where this is not at all mm. like that. But 
No, God. Yeah, I feel like this one to me comes off as I think the the easiest connection that I can think of uh, outside of the things we've already mentioned to me, it sounds like uh, a a differently it sounds like the action is different but it sounds it reminds me of annihilation on that level of like yeah like a quiet or Mm sci-fi movie that hits things from interesting cool like other universe angles but that one i feel like they're living in it the whole time whereas this one it sounds like they're really focusing more on the relationship yes it is and but because you she's outside so much and you see the other earth in almost every shot it's like it looms you know that's so funny. Well, it's always I love that. there, but she's not always interacting with it. But it's like this story, each story could be their own stories. And then together it becomes this even amazing, better story. Um, yeah, that sounds really cool. It, you know what I really love? I mean, I know we want to do Annihilation at some point because you and I are both obsessed with it and not enough people have seen it. <laughs> I really love the final right. act of Annihilation. Um, when she's sure. dancing, I say dancing, but when she's up against, that other version of herself this alien being who's like trying to understand her and she's trying to understand it and she's lost in the grasp of identity and who who is she who is it what does being alive mean like that (laughs) scene is so beautiful and so intense and it went on for so much longer than you thought it would while you were watching it that it almost almost became another film like (laughs) and i i think that scene in particular is very connected to what Rhoda is doing the entire time in this film. Very interesting. So I, hmm. I really love that you thought of Annihilation because I was thinking about it this morning. I was looking at stills from it and I... Oh, nice. Yeah, it feel it definitely feels like that's that. It feels like a... It makes the most sense as a connection. Yeah, I just, I, I just really love that. I love when, because you have this really great way of um, distilling things, things that I say or other people say when they're talking about films. It's such like a perfect <laughs> way. I love it. Oh, thank goodness. I'm so glad. <laughs> I hope that speaks to our... Yeah like our bond but then also i don't know our ability you're you have this great synthetic synthetic that's not a word you're you synthesize things very well <laughs> oh good oh, i'm so glad to hear that yeah my one of my main priorities in life has been to understand things as well as mm-hmm. possible and to have a great sort of very easy sense of mm. understanding mostly in comedy but in general it's so important for communication and yeah, that's my main priority is to understand as well yeah, as possible. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> it's thrilled me the last couple of times I've talked to you about films that you haven't seen, and then you're able to basically <laughs> completely understand what they're about. <laughs> I'm awesome. so glad. That's, that's so weird. It's, it's so much fun. That, I love doing that when people are talking about people I've never met mm. before. Like, I remember once I was going to um, my CEO's <laughs> wedding, and which is already very weird. My former CEO's wedding... Uh, and it was this very long drive in a car uh, to Long Beach with a bunch of people who uh, I, you know, a bunch of people I work with. It was two. It was two guys I work with, two sales guys, and their their girlfriends, I believe, at the time. Um, and I was like, okay, they all know each other really well, and I don't know them outside of work. I've never met their girlfriends, and they just started talking about people only they would know. And I was like, oh yeah, so he's probably that kind of guy. And they're like, have you met that guy? Because you're nailing him right now. <laughs> That's amazing. And then I was yeah. in. 
it was such a good feeling to be like part of the conversation via that faking it. That is so <laughs> great. And I love too how like it's so hard if you're in a group of people that know each other and they start talking about things that you're not privy to. It feels so isolating. Oh, it's so, so rough. Yeah. And it's always so person based. They're always talking about people they know that you would have never possibly met and they never pause to like yes, bring you in. Um, <laughs> you know, sidebar, the rudest thing you could possibly do. I hate when people do that. Um, but I, I think it's, it's so amazing. Rough. I think I definitely... I always try to be like, okay, what are you talking about? Like, who is this person to you? Yeah. Or like, haha, that's so funny. What else? To be like, I'm here to remind people that I'm here. And I love that you yeah. are able to do that and like make it be like, I'm in this conversation also. It's a really good quality to have because it always like, I always try to bring people in. Um, it's so important. Yeah, that's so and important. And I, I hate when I'm in a group where it's like no one else is making the effort. And I'm like, are you socialized this poorly that you don't realize that there's somebody yeah. here who's not engaged in the conversation? Um, they just, they, they're they still like consumed by the connection that they don't understand anything mm, outside of that connection. That's like a, there's just that's no a very awareness. Generous, yes, it is a bummer. But it's definitely, that's a generous <laughs> way of putting it though, because it is, I do think you're right that it's beyond it's not just like this person's an asshole, but it is about being excited about connection. Um, yeah. It's like, they're so excited and th that they're unaware. A lot of the times I feel like I run into this a lot. People are so unaware of the problems that they cause or the styles of rudeness that mm. they're exhibiting. And as soon as you like get them in on it, even a little, they go, Oh my God, you're right. I had no mm. idea. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. And I, I think that that's great too, because it helps us be less cynical about, people being jerks and like this it's easy now we live in a time where it's like I, I get so angry anytime I just see somebody outside without a mask or like someone walks too closely to me right. at the grocery store and I've come up with a whole reason why they're mm. the absolute worst person that's ever lived and I want to like <laughs> rip them like head to toe you know like just tear their bodies in half oh, I'm course. so angry at them so it's nice to be able to bring it back to like, yeah. oh, yeah, if you just let people know, sometimes they don't know they're being an asshole. And I, it's interesting because Rhoda's character in Another Earth, uh, she is so carefree until her carefreeness really fucks with another person. And she's forced to look at the way she's living her life. And that's when she becomes more sympathetic. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah, that's so that's so it's it's really great to see people change in those I, ways. I love it. I nothing like a good uh character character arc, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. And especially like I don't know, I feel like there's so many emotional character arcs out there that have mm. been done already and so many like surface level arcs yes. that have been done. It's so great to see yes. digging on an emotional level. I totally <laughs> agree. This has a lot of digging and I and I wonder if it would have been, uh, it's interesting to think about digging that somebody's able to do once they're confronted with something that's almost supernatural. Ooh, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, of course, such a metaphor for like, how we perceive any emotions. Oh, yeah, right? that's a really great point. Yeah, a lot of times our feelings feel very monstrous to us or othered. Uh, they're very scary yeah, enough of us completely. so we're ashamed Oof. of them and that you know causes this whole host of other issues um mm. man you know we got into some deep stuff today and that really pleases me <laughs>
Same, same. I love it. I got to talk about the stuff that I love talking about the most and just a lot of perspective-y things that I won't no, shut I, up about. I don't want you to. I, I think that those types of perspectives <laughs> is what um, makes a film great and what makes watching a film with friends great. And I think it's important to have a takeaway from all films, even if they're silly and dumb. I think there's a lot of critical analysis that can go into everything that's made because everything is made by people and has this humanity to it. You oh, know, totally. so. That's a great call. And it all exists within an arc at like an overall. Yeah, context, definitely. Right? So I uh, no, I love I love getting into your perspective on things when you haven't seen them because uh, they're always very intuitive. You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, Pete, did we did I did we see I even forgot we didn't do this together, Cozy. Pete, did I convince <laughs> you to watch another Earth? Are you interested? I think I will watch it. I really like Annihilation, and I had the same mm. thought as Cozy that, like, the discussion reminded me. Of oh wow, that makes me so That's happy! Wow, I love that you had that <laughs> thought too, Pete. Well, I was going to say we can't watch it all together. I would love it if, whenever we're allowed to be together again, we could watch <laughs> it. Um, right now, it's kind of hard to find it. I I own it on DVD, but it's streaming. If anyone has Cinemax, it's streaming on Cinemax, or you can rent it. It's available on Redbox, Fandango, Google Play, and Prime. If you want to rent it from either any of those mm. places, it's like 3 to $4. Um, I know money is tight, but Not still, it is out there. Um, and then if you two don't end up watching it during the quarantine, maybe in some unknown future, we can all watch it together. Uh I mean, there there exists another universe where we have already yes, watched it. Yes, how together, calming right? is that? How calm, <laughs> there's so I'm so stressed about the amount of films I haven't seen, and the idea that like oh, no. there is a version of me who has seen the Three Colors films just makes me feel so much better because I feel <laughs> like such an asshole for not watching them yet. Also, you don't you like those films, uh, Red, Blue, and White, Cozy? You haven't seen them. I've never seen them. I thought we talked about them. No, they're, they're on also list. on my okay. list. Well, yeah. it's interesting. That filmmaker, he's a Polish filmmaker, and he was very inspirational to uh, Mike Cahill and Britt Marling. They, like, love his work. Ooh. And uh, I, I've seen one of his films that's actually I'm going to get into in a second with recommendations um, that mm. I feel like you would really like a lot. And I just want to make sure I say the name correctly because it is – French. Um, <laughs> so we're. It's the last name of, of that one, William, yes, whatever. Uh, is. The <laughs> filmmaker who did the color trilogy is uh, Christoph Kislowski. And he did another okay. film called The Double really Life of Veronique, Veronique in 1991, uh, which I highly hmm. recommend and was an inspiration to. Um, Another Earth. And another movie I recommend is Melancholia by Lars von Trier. Um, has a lot of similar mm. vibes to Another Earth. Um, April Wolf, a film critic and host of Switchblade Sisters, which is one of my favorite film podcasts, was talking about the comparisons between Another Earth and Melancholia and said that Melancholia is about the acceptance of the annihilation of self. And another earth is about the acceptance of the renewal of self. I thought that was Ooh, so powerful. Have you seen Melancholia? 
No, but I want to because I I didn't know that it's something I missed until I think last year or this year when I think it came up on the podcast and wasn't that the one Bernie yes. Sanders said he liked or Obama yes. someone? Yeah, I love it. It's such a great movie about depression. So that's Ooh, that uh, Melancholia awesome. and the Double Life of Veronique are my recommendations for this week. What about you? Uh, my recommendation for this week uh, is. Uh, speaking of worlds and earths and planets and such, uh, my recommendation is Joey Camo and Emily Horn's A Softer World webcomic series from a long time ago uh, from back in college. Yeah. Uh, Luce, did you ever check this out? So what's it called? A Softer World? Uh, A Softer World. Yeah. That that's very, it's very much up your alley. I feel like you'd be a big fan. Um, It's very interesting because it's been a long time since it came out and I, I'm rereading the entire series now from the beginning, and it's it's what it's like a photo essay, photo collage style webcomic of like three panels. Uh, Emily Horn did the photography, and Joey Camo um, did the the writing for it. And he has written a lot of like novels that deal with a lot of really great queer themes. And he's just an awesome, awesome writer. And it's like these little snapshots of of stories and feelings that you haven't seen before and you feel them and then they're gone and they're so subtle and strange and poetic and funny a lot of the times mm. and very dark and yeah it's it's worth looking at uh and going somewhere in the maybe the middle of the archives and just reading from there or starting from the beginning if you're the type who can be cool with some action you <laughs> yes know I, mean? I love this i just looked it up i have never heard of this i've never heard of it i've never seen it oh Thank you. Perfect. I, uh, That's perfect. I really like Absolutely. the second one um, that comes up is Halloween is the one night of the year when you really can dress for the job you want. So <laughs> yes, he's written. He's written some books that you should definitely check out um, that he wrote a big thing about. Let's see. He wrote a, either a novel or a short story or some, I don't remember the length, but it was uh, basically set, it was called like Summer Camp Bloodbath Ooh, or something. Yeah, I feel like you would appreciate that one on a couple levels. I think his his mom is like a horror effects person, the Ooh. main character. And yeah, and so he's so like used to that. And then, yeah, I don't, right. don't want to ruin it. And I also don't remember <laughs> that's enough always of that. How it is. <laughs> yeah, oh God. Well then, yeah, but that's I my recommendation. It. A softer world, that's great. <laughs> and then... Uh, listeners, every week we've, l- lately we've been putting the recommendations in the liner notes so that you can look them up. So um, I know when I'm watching, li- excuse me, when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm always like, I don't have a pen and paper. I like always want to take notes on what I'm hearing. So we're trying to put all that stuff in our liner notes mm-hmm. now so you can check them out. Yeah, Luce has done a great job. Just oh, thank totally you killing so much. That. I appreciate that. Well, if you... If you've seen um, if you've seen these recommendations uh, or you have something to recommend to us, please hit us up on Instagram or Twitter. If you've seen another Earth and you want to talk about it, please, please, please tell me. I am always down to talk about this movie. There's so much more detail you can get into if you have seen the ending. Um, so hit us up. Uh, our podcast is Need to See Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And we're also on Facebook. You can join our Facebook group to discuss films or you can like our Facebook page uh, for updates. Um, plugs. Uh, I'm not really doing that much these days other than uh, making jokes on Twitter and I'm making fun little goofy hyperbolic makeup tutorials on Instagram. 
So if you uh, are someone who isn't good at makeup or you want to be able to do makeup, but you don't know how, and you need a little slice of outrageous existentialism and ludicrous uh, hyperbole, I am doing that kind of thing on Instagram right now. You can follow me. LTB comedy. Uh, Cozy, what, what are you up to? What can people see you doing now? Uh, okay. <laughs> I wanted to give you the option. <laughs> yeah, no, and I do appreciate that. If someone walks by my window and sees me cooking, like they can see me <laughs> cooking a lot of the things that I haven't cooked in probably seven years. I recently I came back it. to cooking. So if they want to see me tonight making, or yesterday night, I guess, uh, making a, uh, what would this, uh, let's see, I'm doing like a bow tie pasta, basil, uh, like honey mustard, um chicken prosciutto oh concoction that Ooh, i'm excited are for are you working tonight. off of a recipe i, can't wait. I am i'm working for on a rest i'm working off of a recipe i haven't uh worked off of in probably uh, seven years is it uh like on a computer or is it like handwritten oh it's in a it's in a cookbook i have like this pile of cookbooks and a bunch of um what are they they are uh, post-it notes that are just I stuck love in that. certain well, pages. Well, sh- you should take a picture of the recipe and we can throw it up on our socials for people to see. And that's their way of seeing you. I would, okay. I'm so down to do that, especially because I have to take a photo of it Perfect. for my grocery list every uh, time. <laughs> well, good luck with your recipe. I hope it goes well. And um, yeah, hit us up. Thank let you. us know what you're cooking. Let us know if you've cooked a Cozy's recipe. And Uh, The biggest thing you can do to help us out right now is to rate, review, and subscribe. If you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the air because we're so, so very grateful. Um, It's hard for people to find us because of the algorithm. And just a little little bump with the subscription makes such a big difference. So um, thank you, everybody, ahead of time. We appreciate that. And... um, Many more thanks to our sound engineer, Pete. We love you so much, Pete. And thank you to all of you out there for listening to you. Need to see this. (laughs) Goodbye. What would we learn from ourselves? What would we really like to see if we could stand outside ourselves and look at us?